Welcome, welcome to another episode of Bonfires of Social Enterprise. This is Rami, and today we will be listening to my interview with Christine Kwan of the Eastern Market Corporation. Woohoo! The Eastern Market's one of the oldest open air farm markets in the United States. Actually, it may be the oldest, but it's so much more than that. They've been incredibly innovative and observant to the needs of the neighborhood and the entrepreneurial vendors that set up shop there. As you will learn, they're building out an entire food business ecosystem that will really help the food entrepreneurs move from concept to micro business and then all the way through into scale. So let's begin with our fun fuel for this episode. Hey guys, this is Jensen and here's your fun fact for this episode. The Eastern Market is well known for collaboration and trade of food and beverage products. So I found this historical collaboration on wine. The act of cultivating wine evolved the Mediterranean people from barbarism due to the fact that they began to use barrels and bottles for the first time. They also began to work together with each other to find ways to ship and trade wine. This is how wine came to be in France. Now in the 19th century, almost all wine vines in France were destroyed by a disease called phylloxera, which sucked the juices out of the wine vines. Soon after, it was discovered that American vines were immune to phylloxera, so the French obtained wine vines from America and began to make a hybrid wine with the remaining French vines that had survived. This is the wine that forevermore comes out of France. As I listen to that fun fuel story, I'm amazed at how some products and services come to be. It's so funny, we forget. There's always some sort of collaboration in there. Okay, please meet Christine from the Eastern Market Corporation and know that because this place was so booming and bustling, we had to go all the way downstairs and find sort of a cellar area to do the interview. So you'll hear a little bit of an echo, but it's just part of being on the scene in Detroit. So I'm sitting here with Christine Kwan of the Eastern Market Corporation, and I'm really excited to have Christine on. She is such a great spokesperson for the Eastern Market. She's helped us so many times here. This conversation is so rich, it's almost going to be hard to narrow it down. We're going to have to come back for part two and three, I'm sure, of the Eastern Market. But now, today, we want to just give you listeners a feel of what the Eastern Market is in Detroit. It's one of the oldest farm markets, as you'll learn from Christine. And they're doing some really cool things, exploring business and moving it forward. So Christine, will you start by giving our listeners a real broad view of what the Eastern Market even is? Sure. So the Eastern Market, we are going to be celebrating our 125th year this year. And we like to say that we are the oldest and largest public market in the country. We might share that title with one or two others, but we don't know about them. So I think that we're the oldest and largest and uh, yeah, coming up to 125 years. So just a brief history of this place. The market was run out of the city of Detroit's Parks and Rec Department up until about 2006. And that's when the nonprofit Eastern Market Corporation was formed. And we signed a management agreement with the city of Detroit to be the market operations of the market. Since that time, we have leveraged this place to foundations, to other corporations and other sponsors that have helped us rebuild and renovate the structures of the sheds in the area. So 
We were signed on by the city to just manage the operations and to renovate the property, and we've done that. But what really what my boss and president, Dan Carmody, has realized was that this place is so special that we could be doing so much more in the food sector. So he is a visionary, a creative man who got the attention of a lot of the Kellogg Foundation, of Kresge Foundation, of others to support different ways that we could leverage this place to increase food access, to increase economic development, and that's what we've been doing since he got here in 2007. So it's kind of an exciting place. We're changing all the time, and we've moved much more than just renovating sheds and managing market operations. Although that's the bulk of who we are, we have gotten into a lot of different other things. Yeah. So how big, Christine, is the layout of the place? Because our listeners can probably hear we're down in a a basement setting right now to try to find a quiet cubby to talk because this place is bustling with activity. But if we go upstairs, what is the acreage of this? So some of it's open and some of it's being renovated, right? Right. The campus itself is about 14 acres. I think it's five acres of sellable space under five structures we call sheds. We have two of those shed buildings are indoors and the other are open air. Between our two closed sheds, shed shed three and shed five, is shed four. That structure was built in the 1940s during World War II and our next project of renovation. We hope to enclose that shed, make it open air in the nicer months, but be able to be closed during the winter months, as it is a main connector between our two other sheds. So it will be a market hall, but above that we look to add about 40 living spaces on top of the market. So it's kind of a very exciting project, and that's something that we hope to be starting in the next maybe 18 to 24 months. And would that be food vendors staying there primarily? or? Food vendors, it would operate just like a market space, like our other market sheds on the main floor, and then it would be mixed-use residential housing above. So it would be interesting to see 40 different units smack dab in the middle of a market that can attract anywhere between 50 to 100,000 people on a flower day weekend to 40 to 50 on the height of a summer day here. But... I think there are probably at least 40 households that would want this experience. So, but oh, yeah. yeah, it'll be crazy, but it'll be great. Yeah. This is such a destination place. I mean, I've spent the last 25 years in the Detroit area, but I wasn't born. But even before that, you hear about the Eastern Market from everywhere. It's just iconic. And people from the suburbs and hours away, for those of you who don't live near Detroit, will travel down on the weekends. Now, how early is it open? Let's talk about maybe some of the history before we go to the future and what's happening now. We know restaurateurs will come down and chefs very early. Meat deliveries happen during the night. Will you give the listeners a flavor of some of that? Sure. So Eastern Market is a has multiple markets. The main market that the Eastern Market was founded on is our wholesale market. And that runs between midnight and 6 a.m. five days a week during the growing season. The growing season for the state of Michigan for fruits and vegetables starts around Father's Day and goes to the end of November. But with the earlier, with the warmer weather, we've had growers that have been here up into the first or second week of December still selling product. So the history of the market, farmers from all over the southeast Michigan, Ohio, Canada would bring their goods to Detroit. They would come to the market. 
jobbers, they called them back then, set up shops around Eastern Market that then buy from these farmers and then distribute horse and buggy, then eventually in cars and then in trucks to the neighboring places. And then whatever was left over for the end of the week was then open to the public on Saturday. And that's how our Saturday market started. Over the advent of distribution centers and for grocery and retail, we have seen our wholesale market and the viability of that shrink a little bit as we have been on the outside of supply chains for retail and grocery. However, one of the things that makes us really unique here in Southeast Michigan is that we do still have a great number of independent retailers that the reason why they're here is because of Eastern Market, and the reason why Eastern Market still exists is because of them. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. But we like to say here at the market that we've all been eating local before eating local was cool, because these retail grocery stores, they bought this product because it had incredible shelf life. It had just been harvested the day before higher quality of as far as taste and flavor and yield and they just knew that they had a superior product nobody really valued at that time that it was local or regional or what it did to the economy it was just a better product Mm -hmm. and so with being able to differentiate their stores on high quality produce allowed them to stay in business over the years Mm -hmm. there's a big difference between apples that are coming over in a truck over the Rocky Mountains versus ones that are grown here in Michigan. So as far as shelf life and value and flavor. So that's why we continue to have a market here in the wholesale market. That continues to be a premium. And now as we move into featuring farmers and farmers are rock stars now, we just see the demand for local food in the retail establishments even being growing year over year. It's, It's a trend that's not going away. So we like to say it's a trend, it's not a fad in the sense that people are getting burnt out, it just continues to grow. So that's our wholesale market. Our Saturday market is 52 weeks a year. So we're here every Saturday in the winter as well. We condense down into two sheds, but we do still have a great array of actual produce that is here. Some of it are things that are grown in greenhouses in Leamington, in Canada, and things that are grown in greenhouses here in Michigan. But a lot of it, too, for right now, is coming from dealers that are buying on the world market. You know, this is a public market, not a farmer's market. It's an access point for fruits and vegetables for the city of Detroit. So it's very important that we still have lemons and limes and bananas for folks, as well as produce all year round. So we do have that, and it it continues to go. We also added in 2011 a Tuesday market, which is like a smaller scaled-down version of our Saturday. It's mostly in Shed 2. It's a great open-air market, and we program a lot of, we do a lot of fun programming on Tuesdays to attract people down here. So it's a fun market. And then we also launched a Sunday market. We just finished up our second year of our Sunday market. So, and we like to think of Sunday market as if Saturday is food with a little bit of stuff, Sunday is stuff with a little bit of food. So it is artisans, it is your soaps, and your fun stuff like that. So, and we do a lot of fun programming too on Sunday. And that market is growing year over year. We have the Derby Girls that come out. We have all sorts of fun things on Sundays here. And then we have our infamous Flower Day weekend, which attracts over 100,000 people, which is a crazy event. But that's super fun, and it is part of so many people in Southeast Michigan's tradition to come down here for that day. It's just what they do. Moms, grandmothers, it's just a big family event, and everybody comes down, and it's a point of tradition, and it's the kickoff to their summer. Yeah. 
it's so beautiful too. I bet <laughs> it's so beautiful to see that vibrancy of colors and the smells and it's just oh yeah amazing yeah. probably my favorite flower day moment is just when the sun rises because we're here at like five o'clock in the morning and to see the sunrise and the sheds explode in color is incredible and just to see like the vibrancy of everything and everyone and it just kind of starts to come alive in those early morning hours that's my favorite time and and how many core employees of staff you have just within the Eastern Market to pull off just what you've said so far? So we have around 18 full-time staff members and then we have our customer service support team. There are security force and customer service support. We have about I think 10 to 15 of those guys as well. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's really important for people to understand is that it's very safe here. You know we have a lot of folks that are walking around that keeps their eyes and ears open for any kind of trouble. If we're here on a Saturday, all of us have a radio, we're all on the same frequency, we are constantly monitoring that. So I don't think this place would be busting with 60,000 people if it were right. really safe. Yeah, it's a melting pot if you come down here. And then it's not just the employment that creates, but the Eastern Market is surrounded, guys, by blocks and almost like a fence of businesses around it that also benefit from all the foot traffic. Right, so the market itself is about 14 acres, but the Eastern Market District is about 37 acres, and we are an authentic working food district in the city of Detroit. We're at about 90% capacity of those food businesses. There are a lot of these produce houses that have been here for as long as the market has been here multi-generational produce houses that continue to distribute produce to restaurants and other retailers and food service outfits all over all over Michigan actually. We have Wigley's Meats and corned beef manufacturers that have been making corned beef here for years and years. So there's a lot of interesting food businesses that are kind of been under the radar here for years and years and years and they are growing and expanding. So their need for more land and their need to grow has begun to put a challenge on Eastern Market because we'd like to maintain those food businesses here. If they go away, then the character of this place changes. So we want to keep them in the Eastern Market District. We may want to move them just a little bit north of us, but we want to be able to backfill food businesses in those businesses' places. We have about 25 food businesses right now that either want to come into Eastern Market or are looking for land to expand. It's a great problem to have, but it's a challenge that we're working on right now. We just completed a stakeholder analysis of the neighborhood for a strategic plan for 2025, and we asked the residents and the businesses what they wanted to see for Eastern Market in the next 25 years, and we want to keep it a working food district. We want it to grow. It's an exciting place. It's exciting places for business. We also just completed For those of you not familiar, the DeQuinder Cut is a rails-to-trails bike path that was expanded. used to go from the Detroit Riverfront all the way up to Gratiot Avenue, but now it runs alongside the east side of the market with an access point to the market. It's a great path and improves accessibility to the market. It connects to Midtown, it's, been, it's a great addition. So, but that path even, it's just, it's going to spur on more retail, more people who are gonna to wanna to live in this area as well. So we need to manage that growth. We wanna make sure that it doesn't become gentrified, it doesn't lose its authenticity, 
it's, these are things that we really are trying to make sure that we maintain a good, solid balance going forward. One of the things that I noticed, the fundraising efforts and all the strategic growth around the Eastern Market, and something that just struck me so much is that you guys are acutely observant about what's happening around you and paying attention, not just capturing the information once and moving forward, but my sense is that there's this ongoing paying attention. And I see both, we talked about this earlier, that you guys are not waiting to collect every possible piece of information before you take a step. You're just going and gathering the information then. And what do you say? You're like a seven. We, we, I'd say that we're like a 747 that we're building as we're flying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It's crazy. What we get to do, and it's a great job to have, is that we get to take chances. When we get a grant, it's based on an idea that we think we're going to be successful with but we're not 100% sure, and that's the beauty of a grant. So we get to take these great chances to see if we can create a program that can work, that can sustain itself over the years. And considering that we continue to get these grants from the state of Michigan, from the U.S. government, they see that we're actually being successful. So, I mean, they wouldn't continue to grant us money if we didn't do what we said we were going to do. So it's a great opportunity to learn and to make improvements. And one of the things that we're really starting to do now, too, is that... We've gone out, we've created these programs, now it's time to kind of double back and say, are they really meeting the objectives that we really said that we set out to do? In some cases, it didn't do what we thought it was going to do, but it ended up doing something unexpected and great and still worthwhile. We'll take our farm stand program. We started that program as a food access program and a way to get produce into different neighborhoods. We call it our farm stand or mobile pop-up market. In that program, we have about 20 sites that we visit to in the summer. A third of those sites are corporate sites, a third of those sites are hospital sites, and a third of those are neighborhood sites. That program started out of the back of my boss's Subaru and has migrated into three veggie vans of us hauling food all, in, hauling food all over Detroit into these 20 sites. And we hire about 20 what we call food and health fellows every season. We give them food safety instruction, how to merchandise, how to talk to people, and we send them out into the public. And they are, just like we said, they are ambassadors. They are fresh food and health fellows. They are talking to people about eating fruits and vegetables. They are talking about how to prepare this type of food. And we really noticed that from the hospitals and for corporate sites, this is an employee wellness program. So what they do is we ask them for a sponsorship every season, and they happily provide that, and that offsets our labor costs and our ability to go into the neighborhoods. So this program doesn't sell hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of produce every year. We are moving the needle as in education and outreach. It is a great brand recognition. People like to see that Eastern Market is out and about and it draws more people back to the market on Saturdays. So we're looking at the possibility of going into some of these grocery stores and that don't have robust produce sections. And so folks don't usually go to those types of stores to get produce. And we want to maybe go into those stores, maybe one or two in the first year, set up a produce market, take the risk of owning the inventory, build sales for that grocery store over time, and then we can surrender over the sales and the whole program to that store. Because mm. a lot of these smaller stores, they don't know how to handle the perishability of produce. They don't want to take mm. the risk. 
of having a bunch of produce and then people not knowing that that's a place to get it. So that's where we feel like Eastern Market can help because we can drive sales through our promotion, through our marketing, and we can do programming that can draw folks in, and we can do things that can generate excitement around produce for that market and then build those sales up over time and then go to on to the next one. So leaving behind an operation, a produce operation for them. So It's like you're incubating it for them with your expertise of creating a marketplace and your knowledge of produce. That's powerful. Yeah, so yeah. that's something that we're excited to do. And then in the access point as well, we just opened through a partnership with Community Growth Partners, Red Truck Fresh Produce, which is a 2,000 square foot produce market within Gratiot Central Market. Gratiot Central Market is a traditional meat market. And so if the market wasn't in session on Saturday or on Tuesday, the folks in the neighborhood around Eastern Market really didn't have a lot of viable options to get produce. And they were already going to Gratiot Central to get their meat product. So we wanted to be able to get fresh produce. So that just launched in November. And again, we are not grocery store operators. What we knew is that we wanted to be able to offer fresh produce more days than the market was open. What we knew was that there was space available at Gratiot Central. So we applied for a CED HFFI grant, which is a healthy food and finance initiative with the U.S. government. We were awarded a grant that we then used that money to build out that space. So it's a new venture for us because Red Truck is not something that Eastern Market is a sole owner of. It's a joint venture with Community Growth Partners. And it's, you know, Red Truck is its own entity. It's also a workforce development opportunity. We partnered with Goodwill Industries, who mm-hmm. trained vets. We'll be starting our second cohort of vets mid-February, that they'll be starting there at the store. So we're pretty excited and proud about that. Yeah. And yeah, so that's Red Truck. And we're doing all sorts of fun things we have planned for that. We have Chef Phil Jones that is coming in every Saturday from 10 until 4, and he's doing live cooking demos, teaching folks about seasonality of produce and healthy eating. We're going to be having our urban growers come in and talk to folks about the importance of not only buying from Detroit growers, but the importance of soil and the nutritional differences about produce that is close to you versus produce that's came from who knows where. So getting people to understand quality and paying for that a little bit more up front and being able to use that and be aware of food waste and how that affects our food costs. These are kind of consumer mm. education pieces that we really want to confront and talk to folks about and talk to them through people who are growing their food. Yeah. I think that we really want to make more of those connections for people that are living in the neighborhood, at least around here and in Detroit together as entirely. So, so far, I'm hearing, this is so rich. I've got so many questions I want to ask you. You're creating a marketplace. You've got all this education around nutrition and food waste. You're teaching grocers how to do some of this, building up their capacity and product lines and all the entrepreneurial pieces. How about the commercial kitchen? I know of that story. Would you mind telling us the story of the young lady and her husband with the, is it the popcorn? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So... It took us a little bit while to get Shed 5 fully built, and we had grant dollars to build programming around our community kitchen, and we didn't have a community kitchen at the time for the programming. So what we did was we went out to the neighborhoods, and we found two community sites, one a church and one a community center, that we could start having entrepreneurs go through. They were underutilized kitchen space that were licensed. So since we had two, we 
created a program that we called Detroit Kitchen Connect. At that time, we did that in a partnership with another organization called Food Lab Detroit, and we launched these two kitchens. And then when our Eastern Market Kitchen became online in 2015, it was the third kitchen in the Detroit Kitchen Connect network. And we want to add more kitchens. So the network is we have, I think, around 18 or so entrepreneurs in the Eastern Market Kitchen. I think we have about five in St. Peter's and Paul. And the other kitchen was Matrix Human Services, and that one didn't so much work out for us, just the timing and the availability of the kitchen space. We're looking for others to add in our program. But the entrepreneurs that have gone through our system, even so far, are quite incredible. And there is Cynthia from Shayla Sins Popcorn. Her husband was, I think, 300 pounds at one point and had major health issues. And facing that, and their family facing that, she just decided to just change everything that the way that they were eating. They became vegan, and she started creating this popcorn as a snack. But she started putting things like kelp and kale and really improving the nutrition of this, and then decided to make this a business. So she makes these incredible vegan cakes and this good-for-you popcorn. Her husband has since lost all of that weight, is now healthy, and is a part of the business, and they're growing this. We have other food businesses that have started off at St. Peter and Paul. Shea Chloe, for example, who makes these incredible lava cakes. She was awarded the Air France contract. So, you know, her lava cakes are now on Air France. So there's just been so many fun opportunities that have happened for our entrepreneurs. Some of them have graduated and now have moved off, which is exactly what we want to see happen. We have one of them that has her own bakery now and was able to move into her own space. We have others that have looked for space on Eastern Market and have recently found it, and we'll have like a little retail front in the front. But what we're noticing around the food entrepreneurialism, and there's a whole huge pipeline for food entrepreneurs. And we started to look at the needs of those folks from the idea stage all the way to them finding bricks and mortar. And what we're noticing is that you come off of maybe you have an idea, you, you're, somebody has said to you that these are the best pies and, and you should do this for a business. So now you've got an idea. How do you build a business plan? How do you know about the food business? Maybe you don't have a college education or maybe you do and it's in something else. You've never run a food business. Like, where do you begin? And traditionally that place has been with Food Lab. They run a 12-week program that they call BASE that is it showcases what a food business looks like from idea on, elements that that food entrepreneur will need. With our partnership with Food Lab, they'll say, okay, if you're making this in your home kitchen, you need to get into a commercial kitchen, and we'll hand them off to Detroit Kitchen Connect. So now you've moved from your idea stage, maybe you've worked with Michigan State Product Center, which is another one of our partners that helped you devise a business plan and you're starting to ramp up production and now you're in a commercial kitchen space with Eastern Market and you're doing great here. You have access to market in our farmers markets or Detroit community markets or other places sell your product. Perhaps Whole Foods has tapped you now to say, hey, we really want that. We need you to be in 200 cases in five of our locations in the next five months. Well, Where do you go from there as a food entrepreneur? There's all sorts of wraparound services that you need as far as business planning and how to manage this growth. How do you scale up? So we have another organization that we work with called Hopeful Harvest. That's a step up of a processing center. They can do co-packing for you. They can help you scale up your recipe. 
They also, through partnership with Eastern Market, we put in a bottling line there so we can do higher-end production there. But we really see even a bigger need there, more higher-level processing equipment so that people can gradually move that product up without having to do these huge capital expenditures on equipment. They can get some sales going, they can start to build capital, then they can buy equipment. But now, okay, so maybe they've got equipment, they're ready to buy equipment, but they can't usually buy equipment and build out a space. So we really want to be able to add what we call white box space here, which is leasable food business ready space. And that's another project that we're working on here in the market. We're working on a 103,000 square foot building. We have about 80% of that letters of intent of food businesses that want to go in there, but also we want to leave space open for these white box spaces anywhere between eight and 10 of these spaces to allow businesses to graduate into those. And they'll probably be around 1,000 to 3,000 square foot spaces. But we want people to come in, be able to grow their business. And then now that they've been able to invest in the equipment, in their product themselves, now we can again generate more sales. Now we can afford that bricks and mortar place. And this is all adding jobs, adding economic activity and keeping it and doing what the people of this district wanted, which is keep this an authentic food, working food district. So while at the same time, you know, opening economic activity up to people from all sorts of different socioeconomic levels and providing that economic democracy here. So that's kind of our ambition. That's what we're trying to do. And then so as when I was telling you before that we have these businesses that want to expand, if the whole system works right, those businesses that we've been in the shared white box space, as they grow, we fill those in on the businesses that are looking to move and expand out. So we kind of keep this whole pipeline of people moving and keep that there. So There's so much exciting things happening because I feel like we're keeping the culture of Detroit here. All this generational history is incorporated with the forward future movement of this. So it's keeping the culture of food, access, and all this that has been here for so long. I don't want to say tradition, but the culture of it here. And then it's really encouraging all of this extra abundance. I just feel because you guys are such good stewards. I mean, you could have quite simply taken that contract a long time ago and says, yeah, we'll just manage it status quo. I think what's coming to mind is sometimes our libraries get that way. You know, it's like, we'll manage it the way it still needs to be. And you guys took that, honored the parts that needed to stay and really looked to the future. It truly is a 747 because it's a massive operation Yeah. and you're learning how to fly it. And I feel like you're launching all these other jets at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, we, we just hired a new marketing director, and she has been walking around for the last week or so realizing just the magnanimity of the job that she's just embarked on. Because it is so massive, because there are so many audiences. We have our Jane consumer that comes down to the market on Saturdays. We have our farmers, you know, that's an audience as well. And our value-added food producers, that's an audience as well. The merchants that are in this district is an audience. Our funders, our grantors, our people who donate to us. The suburbanites, the, the rural folks, the city of Detroit, all of it. They're all messages and we're trying to say what we do to all these different folks and to get a message across and it's really it's hard to get your arms around it some of the days because 
we are doing so much, and yeah, it's under this umbrella of food, and it could be under an, an umbrella of economic development, but it is a massive undertaking, and sometimes you're in it, and you lose sight of the bigness of it. But when I get outside of the city of Detroit, and I have people come to me and say, is really what they're saying true about Detroit? Is it really coming back? And do you really get that sense? Is it real this time? And I say, come to the market on a Saturday because it's something (laughs) that you just feel. Yeah. It's harder for me to explain to somebody that doesn't live here or doesn't work here, but Eastern Market is like the happiest place on the planet on any given Saturday. You know, it is a place where rural and urban and suburban all come together, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic level. We come together to talk about and celebrate this thing that we all love, which is food. And we like to work on food. We like to talk about food. We like to everything about it. It's this great unifier and equalizer. And so to generate activity and buzz and excitement around it, it seems kind of natural for us in this city to, yeah. to get excited about food. So and, and, you know, now, like, all these amazing restaurants are coming up here. I just feel like it's part of our renaissance, or I don't even want to use that word because it's a little cheesy, but it is. It is just something that's really happening here, and all of these progressive thought leaders are coming to the city, and even the folks that have been here generation over generation, they're just as much of a part of it as well, so. Oh, yeah. The word that always keeps coming to my mind when I describe this to people not from southeast Michigan it's always like, I always think of the word village. Of all the places I've traveled around the world, even in very remote villages, it's like a big village. People really are helping each other. And when you're walking around here on, especially one of those Saturdays, I can't explain it, but you all feel like you're related. You feel like you're a family all coming to this big tradition. And there's this almost unwritten understanding of the appreciation of what everybody's doing. I I feel that too. I feel that we've, we've all experienced the tough times in this city and I think we're all gunning for it. And I think yeah. that because we're just all gunning for it together, that it's another thing that unites us. I will say that in my time here, the city, I find it so easy to love, but she breaks your heart sometimes. Yeah. And I think that that's another part of our shared experience here. She's an underdog, and we love her, and she's fallen, and we just want to all see her get back up. Yeah, that's such a good way to put it. It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. And you fall in love with people, and I always like to say I fall in love with the faces, not so much the places, because right. it's the faces that make everything work. And you are really honoring that here. And Okay, I'm going to have to come back, because there's so many things I want to stay in touch with you. But I think, hopefully, for you listeners, we've laid a foundation They're figuring out how to make an enormous marketplace today in this modern day around food, helping entrepreneurs, continuing to educate. We didn't really get to it, but we'll come back and do it some more. There is some amazing revenue models here. I don't want to leave this conversation letting anyone think, well, gosh, because it was all grant funded, there is a lot of amazing revenue sources here as well that they've been really thoughtful about honoring. So speaking about honoring, let me honor your time and thank you so much, Christine, for an opportunity to interview you and learn more about what the Eastern Market has been doing and what you guys are up to. I can't wait to come back and keep tabs on the progress and do an update here. Thanks again. 
Well, it's that time to close out our episode with some music curated by Assemble Sound in Detroit. I'd like to introduce you to musician and artist Grizz. The name of the song is The Anthem featuring Mike Avery. Let's get loose. You guys feeling good?